Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. Before I get into what this episode is about, I want to tell you my exciting news. Hey Human Podcast now is an Amazon affiliate. And what that means, well, a little backstory. Um, I've been struggling with trying to figure out what to do about advertising, if I should do ads on Hey Human. Um, I couldn't really wrap my head around the idea of talking to somebody really personally and then suddenly going, hold on, and then talking about my underwear or you know, a lipstick or I don't know, just anything really, even though I'm a huge fan of Audible and all that, I just I couldn't figure out how to really integrate it for me. I know it works great on other podcasts, but I couldn't, I just wasn't sure how to go about it. And uh, my friend Ellen said, you should do Amazon affiliate. So I did. And what that means basically is if you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, at the top of the page, there is a link. It is an Amazon portal. You click on that link and then you go to Amazon and you're taken to Amazon and you just shop like normal. And when you do that, uh, the affiliate program allows for a tiny percentage to then go back to the affiliate person. Um, And so that is a supporting Hey Human, which is wonderful. So if you are shopping on Amazon, please go to heyhumanpodcast.com, click on that portal and be taken to Amazon and shop like you normally would. I am overwhelmed with gratitude for the fact that I get to do this and you all keep listening and it's wonderful because I mean, I could sit and talk all day to myself and or to guests. And the fact is, is you keep listening and sharing it and spreading the word and it's growing. And I really, I thank you so much. But the podcast, it does cost money, obviously, I'm between the hosting and the, the maintenance and travel to talk to guests and things like that. And it adds up and I'm a one woman show here. And so, doing the Amazon portal is a great way to help show support. And um, so, yes, please do that. Uh, And the other usual stuff, of course, Hey Human Podcast is on all the social media. And my personal social media, of course, is Susan Ruthism. I'm on Twitter under that. And please feel free to follow or like or, you know, all the things that social media requires. And also, um, rate and review Hey Human Podcast. You can do it on any of the apps that support Hey Human, which is pretty much all of them on Android and iOS now. On iTunes, you can rate and review, and that really helps, again, propagate it, get it out there. Uh, And now there's the new uh, update for people with iPhones. I don't know if Androids update the way iPhones do, but I updated to the 11.11, and now on podcasts app on the iPhone, it allows you to rate and review from your phone. So that's pretty cool, because before you had to go online to do it on the, on on your laptop or desktop. So anyway, cool, cool, cool. Uh, and now, the show. My guest for this episode is James Swanick. And he's a fascinating man. He is Australian-born and now lives in America, in Los Angeles. He's an award-winning journalist. He's an author. Um, he was formerly host on ESPN Sports Center. He has a podcast called, appropriately named, The James Swanick Show. Uh, he is an entrepreneur. He's the creator of the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge. 
and Swanee's blue blocking glasses, which we talk about on the show, so I won't uh, use up too much time talking about that because we get into it. And one thing I do want to mention is uh, the 30-day the no alcohol challenge was what drew me to James in the first place. Uh, I learned about it. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think he was, might have been through Joe Rogan's podcast. I'm not even sure where I first heard of it, but I thought, well, that is a very cool idea. I'm going to do that. And so I started the 30-day no alcohol challenge and I went to my friend's wedding and <laughs> CMA week here in Nashville, uh, Country Music Awards week, which is, you know, there's a lot of drinking going on and that kind of stuff. I went to all these events and did all this stuff and didn't touch a drop and it was a really interesting experience. Uh, my 30-day will be tomorrow, the day this episode airs. So right now it's Wednesday, so tomorrow on the 16th will be 30 days. And I think I'm gonna keep going. I have no reason not to. It's I feel great. Um, one of the crazy. I mean, I'm. I feel like my sleep is deeper. My head feels clearer. I wake up wide awake, which is insane. I'm not groggy, and I'm. I don't know. It's it's wild how what a difference it makes. Even if you're just a social drinker, um, I don't need coffee. Usually, I would wake up and I'm like, oh, I need coffee, and. Even on mornings that I um, wasn't having a cocktail with friends or whatever, and that's been really interesting because here I am, I'm a lover of coffee and I haven't craved it, um, and I haven't had any. So I'm 30 day coffee free too. It's, it's just an interesting thing. I don't know if they're related, but they seem to be, at least in my case. Um, yeah, so James was on the show. He was in Toronto uh, traveling and promoting his uh, blue blockers. And uh, so we talked via, FaceTime. I couldn't see him. Uh, there was some technical difficulties. I don't know if it's because he was in Toronto or if I don't know if it was my connection or what, but um, so uh, there are, there's a couple sound glitches here and there. That's just the nature of talking to somebody who is somewhere else. It's just, that is what it is. So I apologize for that. Um, and other than that, I mean, it's a really interesting he's an interesting guy he's had a lot of growth it sounds like um just watching some of his videos on youtube and seeing the growth there and listening to his podcast um this is, you know life is a process and i love people who are unafraid of that process i i think it's such an intriguing thing um we're just you know we're all just trying to figure it out we're all getting to the table and hoping for the best and James has that quality to him of, of having a curious mind and, and constantly trying to, to become a better human and learn more and all that kind of stuff. So I, I just love that in a person. Uh, and I think it makes for an intriguing conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And again, thank you for listening and for helping me to to do this because I love it more than anything. Um, so here we go. James, thank you for being on Hey Human. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the show. You are you are currently in Toronto. I'm to, to, currently in Toronto. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm here selling a product that I own called Swanee's Blue Light Blocking Glasses mm-hmm. on a on a Canadian home shopping network, which is a lot of fun. That is fun. You have a multitude of things that you have done and who you have been. Uh, 
So ESPN sportscaster, world traveler, award-winning journalist. You founded the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge and Swanee's Blue Light Blocking Glasses, which you were just talking about. And you have swanicsleep.com. So lots of things there. The thing that drew me to speaking with you was the 30-Day No Alcohol Challenge. I'm not a huge drinker anyway, but I thought, oh, I'm going to just do this and see what it feels like and what it brings up and that kind of stuff. And um, it's been really interesting. I've been doing that now, I think, about two weeks, so not very long. Um, But it's really a fascinating experience. Uh, The thing that came up first was people get really mad at you if you're not drinking, and they are, which I think is really funny. Um, So let's just say, so I have all these thoughts about it because of what I'm experiencing so far. And again, it's only been about two weeks, so... You know, I don't have a huge thing to go on, but what, that's really interesting to me. What brought you to that? I've watched a lot of your videos, of course, so I know personally what brought you to that, but I want my listeners to hear where your, um, what your metamorphosis was for that. Yeah, well, I'm 42 as we're recording this now. And, you know, for the first 35 years of my my life, um, for I guess 20 years of my adult life, I was a social drinker. You know, I would go out midweek and have a few beers or a glass of wine with dinner. And on the weekends, I might drink a bit more when I was watching football with the guys. And, you know, some weekends I'd get drunk. But for the most part, I was just, you know, a social drinker, had a couple of drinks or a few drinks midweek and a little bit more on the weekend. But... What I found was that uh, I woke up one morning when I was 35 and I just felt ordinary. Like, I, you know that feeling where you're just like lethargic and tired? I'd put on a little bit of weight. I had some wrinkles starting to develop around my eyes. My face looked a bit weathered. Mm-hmm. I just felt slow and tired and sluggish. And I realized that the drinking wasn't really serving me. So I decided to just take a 30-day break from alcohol just to see if I could do it. And in 30 days, I lost 13 pounds of fat. My skin improved. I slept better. I was more productive. I started attracting a higher caliber of friend and acquaintance into my life. And at the end of 30 days, I went, I wonder if I can go 40 days. And then I got to 40 and I felt amazing. And I started going to the gym and lifting some weights. And then I said, maybe I should see if I can do 50 days. And I got to 50 and I just kept going and going and going. And it's now been seven and a half years since I, I had a, a drop of alcohol. And in that time, uh, Susan, lots of things have happened, but um, I've built two businesses. Uh, I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, I've got great friends. I've still got problems, obviously. Like this is my life. life is not all, all roses the whole time. But, but for the most part, I've gone from being tired, sluggish, and feeling average to having lots of energy, clarity, great friendships, and and, and just, you know, feeling considerably happier about life. Did you have friends that be, reacted to it? Um, it really challenges people, which I find so fascinating. Yeah. In the beginning, when I was taking my initial 30-day break, I would, ha- I would tell friends and they would mock me. They would go, what? <laughs> what are you doing? Go on, just have one. And I have this one friend of mine, a guy called Zach, and, uh, you know, I was about three weeks in here. He goes, you're still not drinking? I'm like, yeah, I'm not drinking. He goes, okay, cool. What do you want, soda water? And I said, yeah, okay, cool. I'll go to the bar and get you soda water. I said, thanks. And he came back and he gave me the drink. And he had a weird look on his face. So it made me suspicious. And I went to, to take a sip. 
And then I, I said to him, did you put vodka in this drink? And he went, oh, yeah, I did. Oh. And I, like, he was literally trying to sneak vodka into my drink and he thought it was funny. And I didn't think it was funny at all. I mean, I, I was really irritated. And mm-hmm. like, you, like you said, it, it gave me this, it made me understand that not drinking can really affect a lot of other people. Um, yeah. It can stir something up uh, inside of them that maybe they don't really want to face. But ironically, fast forward seven years to just two weeks ago, Susan, the same guy, Zach, text messaged me and goes, hey, man, it's been 62 days since I've had a drink. I've lost 20 pounds. I feel amazing. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, it took seven years for him to come around. Wow, that's incredible. Well, good for him, too. Great for him, yeah. Yeah. It, like I said, I'm not a big drinker, so I thought, well, this will be interesting because it probably won't affect me that much. And um, the the weirdest thing, I think, aside from people making their little comments and stuff, was the fact that I realized um, it is certainly, even if you're not addictive, it's it's really habitual. I, for example, I love Thai food. and I So I go to Thai food and I have sake, which I know is incongruent but doesn't matter anyway so I go and have sake with my Thai food and it's just what I'm used to and the other day when I went to go get Thai food I thought oh sake oh now I'm not gonna have sake and then I thought well how does that make me feel and I started thinking about that and I realized how much we hang our hat on alcohol even if we're not big drinkers like what it what it stimulates emotionally for us, like, oh, that brings me joy from it. Alcohol's fun. I have a good time. Yeah, or... yeah. I, I, I'm the creator of a program that's called 30 Day No Alcohol Challenge. And the members, all the people around the world who've taken that course, they always tell me the same thing. And that is, is that drinking is so ingrained in mm-hmm. our society and in our culture. Mm-hmm. For example, if you go to a wedding, well, you have to toast the, the bride and groom with a glass of champagne, right? You have to drink champagne at a wedding. Whenever you're celebrating something, you just have to drink champagne. Yes. And what I say is, well, well who says? Who says that? Like, who, who made up that rule? It wasn't like one day we, we were born and we were like, oh, champagne equals celebration. Right. And then, and then there are a lot of men who, who like watching um, NFL, the you know, National Football League, um, mm-hmm. or ice hockey or basketball or whatever, and they'll go to a sports bar, um, mm-hmm. you know, on a weekend. And they're like, well, you have to drink beer. You've got to drink bud and cause light and drink with the lads and the guys as you're watching your favorite team score mm-hmm. a touchdown, right? And I'm like, well, well, why? Why do you have to do that? Why can't you just drink soda water while you're while you're watching the game? And then we associate a nice bottle of red wine and a candlelit dinner for romance. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you have to have a bottle of wine for romance, don't you? You just have to. Well, mm-hmm. who says? Who says you've got to do that? And so a lot of my members in that program are always saying, wow, it's amazing just how entrenched it is in our culture that it's just such a normal thing to do. Even, Susan, just coming home from work and that habit of like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling tired, let me, just, oh, let me just pour myself a glass of wine and sit on the couch and watch some TV. Oh, let me just grab a quick beer and just have a beer. Oh, okay, now I'm relaxing. Well, are you really relaxing or are you putting yourself into a perpetual cycle of tiredness, lethargy, and, and quite frankly, unhealthy um, behavior? So, so yeah, it, it really is entrenched in our culture and our society, and it's entrenched in our minds from a very young age. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Um, does your do family members drink? Did you have a were you ever worried in, during your drinking days that you thought, oh, I wonder if I'm just taking it too far? Or? Never until the point where I quit, when I looked in the mirror and what I saw was the physical results of mm-hmm. drinking. Mm-hmm. So I never was an alcoholic. I never considered myself to have an alcohol problem and I say that generally it's not like I'm saying it to try and hide the fact that yeah. you know, underneath I really did have a problem I mean I, I really did not have a, have a drinking problem but mm. I guess you could argue that I had a problem in as much as that the amount that I was drinking meant that I was also eating crappy food which meant I was also because I was tired I wasn't exercising because I wasn't exercising I was trying to get um, energy boosts from like sugary foods because I was eating sugary foods I got fatter because I was getting fatter I wasn't sleeping as well because I wasn't sleeping as well I was getting fatter because I was getting fatter I wasn't as confident because I wasn't as confident Mm. I wasn't as productive because Mm -hmm. I wasn't as productive I didn't make as much money and it and that all stemmed by looking in that mirror and going oh You've got a bit of a puffy face. You've got some wrinkles. Like you, 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 you got, your skin is dry. Well, it's you, poison. You, I mean, honestly, right? We know that. Yeah, you're putting toxins in your body. But for me, it, was, it, it wasn't like I was drinking excessively. It was just that I was drinking the social norm and I could see how it was affecting me in the mirror. And so for me... That was when I decided to quit. And I had no alcoholism in my family, none. Mm-hmm. Like my mother and father didn't drink much. My, my, neither of my brothers drink, drink much. Like I said, just a, what society would call a normal drinker. Yeah, well, again, I think about the idea that what addiction means, right? So you can be addicted to anything. You can be addicted to the feeling that, oh, I'm relaxed right now. I really like that. And, and, but you link it to this thing that's making you that way instead of figuring out how to get there of your own volition Mm. and I I do think in general society I don't know about across the world but I certainly see it a lot in the United States um, we're addicted to addiction in in many ways you know and anything can be that I mean from exercise to religion to alcohol to drugs to food relationships yes oh especially that yeah absolutely Um, and so I don't know. I was just really drawn to that whole thing. I think it's cool that you're you're doing the this global. I mean, it's global. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have people all, all over the world: America, Canada, Australia, UK, Germany, France, Ireland, um, to name a few. People who've taken the the thirty day no alcohol challenge program, and a lot of those, you know, a lot of people go, well, what happens at the end of thirty days? Well, a lot of people. Um, choose to continue not to drink, right? So they stay quit. And, and I've got members who've, uh, who've been going now two and a half years without a drink, which is amazing. Um, just as many people go back to drinking, mm-hmm. but almost all of them go back to drinking at a far reduced rate than before when they first started taking the 30-day no alcohol challenge um, program. And so what I really want to do is I'm not saying that alcohol is the devil. I'm not saying that you should quit entirely. I'm not saying that, you know, maybe you even need to reduce any at all. I'm not saying that. I don't know. You know that best. All I'm saying is take 30 days off, quit for 30 days, just get a glimpse at what it feels like to feel toxin-free, to feel Mm -hmm. alcohol-free. And I'm confident that, what you feel will have more energy, 
will be more clarity, will be better sleep, more relationships, more money, and it'll just it, it should shift something in your mind whereby then you can make a great a great choice on mm-hmm. day thirty as to what your relationship with alcohol will be ongoing. It's not a surprise to me that people keep going. I mean, it. I can understand that completely, and it is super expensive, you know. And and even after two weeks, um, you definitely I, for myself sleep better, more interesting dreams, clearer thought, and even based on somebody that doesn't, I probably drank maybe let's see, uh, maybe three drinks a week, or if I, I'm in the music industry, so then of course Nashville is considered a. Uh, drinking town with a music problem <laughs> so every function is circled around alcohol and um so you know some some weeks are more intense but the older i get you know i'm not a spring chicken the older i get you know it definitely wreaks havoc um anyway i i just think it's really a cool thing that you're doing it was one of that is what drew me to you to speak to you like i said um but um there's so many things that you do. It's really fascinating. You're, um, I wish I could see your face because uh, it's it's always kind of it's. I'm curious, like where you, so okay, sleep deprivation is a big thing for you. Talking about sleep, and that's where your glasses come in. Um, I I watched a bunch of videos where you were talking about you know the alpha male role and 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 um feeling confident in social situations and picking up women and i thought that was really fascinating um so let's start with sleep yeah yeah um so sleep is sleep is the most important thing that we can we can do it restores our hormones it it resets our body it replenishes our brain with glucose that we expend throughout the day with all the thoughts that are going on Uh, it really is just necessary good quality sleep is necessary to live life uh, at an optimum level and and you would probably know this susan if you don't sleep well if you if you're dragging yourself out of bed and you're tired and you're lethargic then that shows up in many areas of your life maybe it puts a strain on your relationships because you're just a little bit irritable with your husband or your wife or your children um you don't do as good a job at work and so you you're not you don't get a promotion which can cost you money um, because you're tired all the time and you're stressed and you're anxious all the time um, your happiness levels drop and because your happiness levels drop you're not as confident because you're not as confident you're not as happy and it's just this like I said before this perpetual cycle so you know it, I always ask people you know what's it costing you not to sleep well like it's not just it's costing you a couple of hours a night it's costing you your health your happiness, your relationships, your, your finances. And so, you know, I've really dedicated my, my life the last three years to learning everything I can about how to get a great night's sleep. And? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can give you a few ways. Would you like me to give you three or four ways on how to sleep better? I mean, yeah, I think people would love to hear that. I I get insomnia. It's generally cyclical, um, and I'll go a couple days where I don't sleep at all. It's not because I'm worried or thinking about anything out of the ordinary. I just am awake. And I know that yeah. in, in some cases, that's just the way it is, but you you have a theory about this. Well, th- yes, I do. So, 
essentially, I mean, look, I can give you a few quick ones and then I'll get on to the main one. The few quick ones are you should definitely sleep in a room that's about 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Studies have shown that sleeping in a cool room and 65 degrees is very is quite cool, um, uh, is the optimum temperature for the best amount of sleep. Um, certainly, you want very dark black curtains that will block out the outside light in the morning. You don't want the sunlight coming in and waking you up. Some people say, oh, but I want to wake up to the sunlight. Well, <laughs> you, you, you want to get up and be in the sunlight at some point, but you don't want the sunlight to actually wake you up. Hmm. Um, so you do want, you do want um, um, to have big, thick black curtains um, to try and make sure that you um, don't let that, that sun in. The other thing is... Um, Trying to avoid exercise at night time. If you're going to do exercise, try and do it as far away from sleep as you can. What they've shown is that if you're exercising close to bed, it raises your core body temperature. And like I said in the number one tip, you want your core body temperature to be cool for the best night's sleep. So the earlier you can do your exercise, the better. Obviously, don't drink alcohol in the last two or three nights, two or three hours before you want to go to sleep. And this can be a bit tricky because sometimes people are like, well, I have a glass of wine and all of a sudden I feel sleepy and you know I'm able to go to sleep. Well, that may be true, but unfortunately, the quality of your sleep is going to be compromised. Right. It so screws you with your brain chemistry. Yeah, it really does. It means yeah. you don't spend as long in that deep restorative REM sleep. Yeah. Uh, and then the big one, which is what I've, I'm really a big proponent of, is blocking as much light at night as possible. So what that means is this. At nighttime, if you watch TV, if you scroll through your smartphone, if you use an iPad, if you're staring into a screen on your computer, mm -hmm. if you're brushing your teeth in the bathroom light, all of that light from those devices is emitting blue light. And blue light is what's used to light up those displays. But blue light has been shown to stimulate a couple of our glands in our brain, essentially tricking our brain into thinking that it's daytime, even though it's nighttime. Which means our body does not produce melatonin, which means we don't have enough melatonin to be able to fall asleep, sleep deeply, and then ultimately wake up feeling tired. So we have to block that blue light at night. So different than say, um, and you're, you're talking about maybe a couple hours before you go to bed, you put these on, your, the glasses on, and, and that will help. Instead of just maybe people who sleep with the big thing over their face. The sleeping mask, yeah. So yeah. two things. So so what I'm suggesting that, look, here's the best thing you can do to get a best night's sleep. In the last two hours before you go to sleep, sit in the dark. <laughs> That's literally the best thing you do. Switch off all the lights, light a candle. If you want to get great sleep, think about it. When you go, If, you, if you've been camping lately you're out in nature you always have the best night's sleep right yeah because you because you light a fire or you've got a candlelight and and candlelight and firelight does not disrupt your melatonin production right and and you say well why is that i'll tell you why because there's no electronic light that's mm -hmm. stimulating your brain tricking your brain into thinking that it's daytime mm -hmm. so but let's face it nobody is going to sit in the dark no one when the sun goes down at seven is just going to go oh <laughs> okay, let's just sit in the dark and wait till we get sleepy and go to, go to bed. Right. So the next best thing you can do is wear a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Um, these blue light blocking glasses have an orange lens. 
orange is the exact opposite of the color blue. Therefore, the blue light from electronics cannot pierce through those orange lenses,、okay. which means your body is now able to naturally produce melatonin, which means you're able to then get sleepier, sleep deeply, and ultimately have a great night's sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. Orange is my favorite color. Well, there you go. There you go. I'm sure my my Swannies blue light blocking glasses are going to look fantastic on you then. Heck yeah. And my, my glasses are. The, that's why actually why I'm in Toronto in Canada at the moment. Like I was saying, my my main product are those blue light blocking glasses. They're called Swannies. My last name is Swannick, and and the nickname is Swannies. And、um, we've helped thousands of people all over the world with these glasses, but. They're actually quite fashionable and stylish, I'm, I'm, I, and I suspect that they would look terrific on on you, Susan. You've got that brown hair、mm-hmm. going, so I think a pair of originals or tortoise-style frames would look nice on you. Yeah, they look good. And by the way, I put links on HeyHumanPodcast.com for people so they can reference everything we talk about. And I find it makes it really easy for people to get to the places they're trying to get to after they hear an episode. So,、mm. for sure. So, how long have you been wearing the glasses for? Well, I, I, the, my product has been around for two years, so we、mm-hmm. launched in in twenty fifteen. But I was wearing a very ugly pair of、um, orange lensed safety goggles for about six months before I designed my own stylish pair. The the way I came up with the idea actually was I was in a Palm Springs, California hotel with a, a Hollywood health friend of mine, and he was wearing these really ugly Uvex safety goggles. You know, the kind of like orange Do plastic like glasses. Yeah, you you wear them at a sh- if you were going to a shooting、yeah. range to protect your eyes, and、right. and、uh, we were out at dinner in this hotel restaurant. He was wearing these glasses, and I and there was a table of very attractive women adjacent to us,、um, and、uh, and I was looking at my friend wearing these these stupid glasses. <laughs> You're like, no! <laughs> I said, Mark, what are you doing? Get those ridiculous glasses off! You look ridiculous, <laughs> and you're making me look ridiculous by association. <laughs> and he said, No, man, I'm trying to block the blue light. I said, "Block the blue light! What are you talking about?"、Oh, and he、okay. said, and then he went on to explain that you know the lights above us in that hotel、uh, restaurant was emitting blue light, that my cell phone was emitting blue light, that the TV screen was emitting blue light, that your bathroom lights and your kitchen light and your TV light and all that light is stimulating the brain,、mm-hmm. tricking it into believing it's daytime and disrupting our sleep. So I, when I went back to Los Angeles, I dug into my cupboard and I pulled out a pair of ski goggles that had a little bit of an amber tinge to it.、Mm-hmm. And I remember I was watching、um, reruns of the TV series Mad Men at the time. Did you ever watch that show? I、Susan? never、Mad、did.、Men? I'm the only one in the world that has not seen that show. But <laughs> and、uh, I remember, you know, for, for about almost a month. I would turn on Mad Men at about ten o'clock at night, and I'd put on these stupid ski goggles. And if you could, if you could have seen me, you would have walked in and go, "What the hell are you doing, wearing ski goggles while watching a TV show?" But what I found is that it was very effective. My sleep actually was,、um, you know, I, I, I got sleepier quicker. And when I finally took the goggles off and went to sleep, I slept deeper. And then I realized, you know, after thirty days or so. Of waking up, of using these things, that I was actually sleeping a lot better. The problem was, is that I didn't want to go out in public wearing a pair of ski goggles on my face. So that was when the idea hit me. I had to put like the orange lens into a very stylish Ray Ban esque kind of frame, 
excuse me. Mm-hmm. Where I would feel inspired to want to wear them, and then ultimately thousands of, of, of sleep sufferers around the world would, would, would want to wear them and look fashionable and stylish too. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. Like all these things that you find for yourself that you get excited about getting everyone, you know, getting the world into it to help. I think that's nice. It's, it's good to be a healing force in the world. Um, I, I totally agree with the, the hot room thing. I cannot, when the room is too hot, it is the worst. And I swear to God, it gives you nightmares. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it seems like whenever a room is really warm, I have bad dreams. Yeah, um, being warm and being, you know, trying to sleep when you're warm, it just makes you toss and turn in the night because, Mm -hmm. like, you know, all the doctors and all the studies are showing that a a, a cool body temperature is is what helps you sleep the, the deepest. So... You know, I mean, I grew up in Brisbane in Australia on the mm-hmm. East Coast, and those, some of those December, January, February, February nights which you know, with a Southern Hemisphere summer were just r- brutal. And I remember, like, sweating during the night and just being really uncomfortable and wake, waking up, like, feeling so tired cause that, I, that I had a poor night's sleep. So um, if you can get an air conditioning and get it down to 65 degrees, and it'll feel chilly. Like, it'll, it will feel chilly. Um but if you can do that, you will sleep a lot, a lot deeper. All those years, my dad kept turning on the thermostat. He was right. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. He, he was smart. He, my dad would get so mad at us kids. He's like, "Who keeps turning this back up?" <laughs> All right. You know, so, it's, oh, I'm sorry. It's, go ahead. Yes. I was just going to say it's funny. I, I was in in Park City, Utah, recently, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was it was in January. The Sundance Film Festival was mm-hmm. on. Freezing cold outside. There's like these brutal snowstorms. It's super cold. But you know what people do when they live in the snow? They they turn up the heater in their home, and it's it's like hot and sweltering. Sometimes you you're in the freezing cold, all rugged up, and then you open the door, you go in, and then you have to take all the clothes off because yeah. it's hot inside. But what I did was, um, you know, I, I tried to sleep the first night in this guest house that I was in. Um, and the thermostat was up so high that it was just too hot. You know, even though it was cold outside, I could see the snow. It was just too hot inside. So what I did was I opened the window, which seems ridiculous, but I, I opened the window just a little bit and I let the cool mm-hmm. win- winter's night air nice. flow flow through, and which dropped the, the, the temperature of my bedroom, which dropped my core body temperature, uh, which made it a little bit chilly. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I, ha- I ended up having like some of the best sleep I've ever had. Yeah, it's there's nothing better than a window open while you're sleeping. It feels so good. Um, yeah. All right, so you brought up uh, the girls going by. That was a hilarious story. Um, so that's a nice segue for me to talk about the alpha male thing. Um, you so you talk about the, like the social anxiety that men have in a modern world, and and you did some videos about how to help. I mean, they were really geared toward men. I would say is that. Is that fair? Sure. There was a time where I did a lot of men's work where I was helping men be better men. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think a lot of people get confused about what alpha male means or even what alpha female means. And um, I I wondered if you might talk about that a little bit, like what it means for you and and how you... there's a, there were a couple of the videos that I watched that, and you were talking kind of about sales, but also it, it showed up in 
some of the relationship stuff about faking it till you make it, you know, like walking into a room with the feeling like you are the person you're trying to be. And then there's that disingenuine thing. And how do you get from the faking till you make it where you know you're kind of not exactly what you're presenting until it shifts into a truthful place? And how can people be honest with themselves about that? Yeah, it's a tricky thing. It's a a tricky thing. And I would say that my explanation has changed over over the years about what it is to be a man. Let's just forget the word alpha male for a second and just talk Mm -hmm. about what it's like to be a man. Um, I grew up in an Australian culture where we were encouraged not to talk about our feelings, Mm -hmm. not to show weakness. If you had a problem, you just stiff upper lip and you just got on with it and you dealt with it. Mm -hmm. My parents stopped, actually never said, I love you to me. Um, And on on, on the occasions where I've said, I love you to my parents, I get silence and awkwardness. Um, My father stopped hugging me when I was six or seven years old. Um, And that's just the way it is. But you know what? My parents love me and I Mm -hmm. love my parents, but we just don't verbalize that we, we show it through actions but i'm just sharing the story because that's the culture i, I grew up in like when friends uh, when male friends a lot of male friends in australia see one another after a long time many of us will still just shake hands we won't hug then i moved over to america in 2003 and we're so handsy over here <laughs> oh my goodness me i i was like i went to a I went to a, um, a Tony Robbins seminar and, and uh, called Unleash the Power Within. And he's like, hug, hug the person to the left of you. Hug the person to the right of you. Give the person in front and behind you high fives and tell them that they're, aw- that they're awesome. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> this is like American cults going on here. And then even when I... Um, even when I joined the Los Angeles Rugby Club, you know, which you we would think would be full, you know, filled of what I perceive to be alpha males, you know, big, strong guys tackling one another. Even they were like wanting to hug me and like, hey, man, how you doing, bro? And they're like giving me hugs. I'm like, what? This is so, so peculiar. And so, um, you know, I've had to really do a lot of work to, to even feel connected or just to show vulnerability and mm-hmm. to ask for help from either other men or from women mm-hmm. and um you know having this stiff up, upper lip and having this kind of like i'm just a strong man and i'm going to get on with it it's actually cost me romantic relationships mm-hmm. quite frankly because initially what i found is is um women uh, women i've been romantically involved with have initially been very attracted to this alpha male persona that that i that i had developed which is strong and like tough and you know and and there's a level of 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 attraction for that Mm -hmm. but then ultimately what happened was my inability to then go deep with vulnerability and to be connected and to share feelings ultimately caused that attraction to fade and and you know the disintegration of of some of those romantic relationships Mm -hmm. so i've i've recognized that and i've been doing um considerable work to try and open up and have deeper more authentic type of conversations but i will say that it's not an easy topic and subject for men in particular because Mm -hmm. you know when we're when we're when we're born and we're grown up men are taught be strong be powerful go out there and hunt Mm -hmm. kill the prey you know just take care of business whereas women are more encouraged to like you know 
to share and to be empathetic and to go deep. But unfortunately, like when men, we get into adult stages and into our um, adult life, those things that we were encouraged not to do as a, as a kid, ironically, are the things that we probably need to do more of in order to, to feel happier in our life and more mm-hmm. connected. Yeah. Did you find, um, since you were raised in a household, well, everybody loves differently. We all have different ways that we feel love and give love. And a lot of times, of course, in relationships, those aren't always uh, sympathetic to each other, um, which is where all the problems arise. But since you were raised in a culture and a family that wasn't super touchy and wasn't um, for you know forward with the I love yous and things like that, when you first started learning to be like that, was it visceral? Like, ugh, this is terrible? Or, or were you... Yeah, it was like, awful. It, it was, was the awful. worst thing. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible. It was yeah. awful. It's still awful. I mean, I, I just... <laughs> two days ago, I was in New York, and I, and I finished a, a self-development course called Landmark Forum. Mm-hmm. And during that program, they get you on, like, the first and second night to go to your hotel and, or wherever you're staying and phone people in your life to either say, I forgive you, or to ask for forgiveness, or to have some kind of deep, deeper type of conversation. Mm-hmm. And so just these last three days, I phoned my mother, my father, my youngest brother, an on-again, off-again romantic interest I've had, and a friend of mine that I, had, that I felt the need to apologize for something that I did 22 years ago that he didn't know about. So I came clean on something I did 22 years earlier, and then... You know, it was super awkward, terrible, oh, just awful doing it. But ultimately, in hindsight, the conversations ended really, really well. And now my father has committed to having a less surface-level type of relationship with me. My mother has committed to talking through um, more with me about things that are going on in my life other than just what I'm doing. So, you know, I don't know if you ever speak to your parents, but it's like, oh, what have you been up to? What are you doing? How are things? But we don't really have conversations like, how are you feeling? Like, yeah. how do you feel about that? We don't have those type of conversations. Well, um, I think it's quite common for kids to have one parent that they have one particular relationship with and then the other parent 100% different, um, which is fascinating in its own light. And then you said you have a couple brothers. I have two older brothers. I'm the baby. So my relationship with my parents is so super different than my older brother's relationships so it is it's it's very weird it's such a lovely thing to hear though i think that's a great idea for anyone to do to reach out to to reach out to people and say hey this is on my mind or this is something i want to do and and talk to you about and it's so scary though for people it's a lovely idea and most of us will not do it. I mean, I had to pay, you know, $1,000 to go to a program and have someone force me to do it just to make those calls, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, all, it's all well and good for you and me to go, oh, yeah, everyone should just call someone and have an awkward conversation. The truth is... It's very hard. Well, the truth is most of the people listening to us now are not going to do it. I mean, I wouldn't have done it just from listening to a podcast episode. I, like I said, I needed to pay money, be put in a room, have someone yell at me and tell me to go and do it. In order for me to do it so yeah um, well that's kind of one of your things I know that you've said that a few times on things that I've watched um, that when you pay money for something then the commitment is there you'll do it where like hiring a trainer versus just going to the gym no one kicks your ass the way a trainer kicks your ass you know you're paying somebody to make you cry yeah it's true it's totally true and it makes all the difference 
what I found is that when I pay, I pay attention. And when I don't pay and I get things for free, I do not pay attention. Mm-hmm. I wish I could I wish I could walk through life and get things for free and have breakthroughs and do great things and all of that kind of stuff. But ultimately, the most effective way I've found is if I pay someone to coach me or mentor me, (laughs) then I really pay attention, then I really take action. I get held accountable and I Mm -hmm. take the action. Why do you think personally it's so hard for we as a species to hold accountability toward ourselves? Why? I mean, the biggest lie we tell, right? It's not, we don't lie to our bosses more than we lie to ourselves. We, you know what I mean? It's, we, we have such a weird relationship with our own psyche, I guess. I don't know what. Well, human beings, in order to understand the answer to, or get the answer to that, we have to understand human beings and humans are not designed to be happy humans are designed to survive right (laughs) humans are designed to survive and so everything that we do is consciously and subconsciously around will this improve my chances of survival Mm. so anything that requires work anything that requires awkwardness anything that's like it's it we see that as a threat Right? We see it as a perceived threat because we're going to have to expend glucose in our brain, which will deplete our energy resources, which might lead to us not having enough food to survive, which means we're going to die, which means we're not going to do that thing. So what I'm saying is inherently we're quite lazy in as much as we're trying to protect ourselves yeah. from, from something that we perceive will hurt us. And biologically, it doesn't make sense because we're trying to survive and eat the saber-toothed tiger and, and make sure, yeah. Yeah. So, so people who struggle with, with anything like, you know, procrastination, for example, um, it's because there's some resistance there. It's all because there's something stopping you from doing it because we perceive it to be a threat to our survival. So, you know, that's why it's really courageous for, uh, for people who, who go out there and, and, and have tough conversations or take the extra step or really push through we, we we as a species admire those people don't we because we know just how hard it is to get through that mental obstacle of taking that action so you know it, it's unfortunately this is the way life is you know like I, I have biceps because I go to the gym and I lift weight right and the mm-hmm. more I lift that bicep the more I apply pressure the heavier that weight that I put pressure on on that arm the bigger my bicep is going to get the stronger that bicep is going to get it's mm-hmm. the same with everything in life the more that you have awkward conversations the more you work that muscle the easier and the stronger it becomes to have those type of conversations I agree I, I'm fear is a big motivator too though I think people are very very afraid to be vulnerable in this world and we have huge amounts of money being poured into making people feel like crap about themselves and you know there's there's no advertising agency that wants you to feel good about yourself right they just i'm curious is like in australia is it like it is here where the media and and everything is perpetuating that 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 fear thing that self-loathing thing is it this is it the same or well, in marketing, if you're trying to sell products, then obviously you're always trying to um, hit on people's pain. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm here at the, the shopping channel in Canada, and and all of the products are aimed at uh, women who are you know 55 years plus, and the, the top selling products are um, age-defying skin mm-hmm. creams. 
um, literally, I saw the sales numbers from the show today because I, I was on selling my Swannies blue light blocking glasses, you know. Um, um, but I saw all the other products they were selling, and the top sellers were all around beauty and women's um, fear of of aging before mm-hmm. their time. Yeah. So literally, the top selling product was age defying skin tightening cream. And so all, you know, they had a model in there and they had one side of her face and they would, they zoomed in really closely and they focused on the wrinkles and the crow's feet and they were, and the bags under the eyes. And this woman was probably in her late fifties and they're like, Oh, can you see here? Can you see how that skin's really dry? And you've got those wrinkles there. But look, if we put this cream on this side of the face and we rub the cream in on this side, look at the way that those wrinkles just disappear, just Mm -hmm. smooths it out. This is age defying cream. This is just going to take 10 years 10 years off your look and people are like yes bye 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 you know women are sitting at home going yes i want that because i don't want to look old i don't i want to look younger i want to look more youthful so 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 yes in selling and in marketing we're saying look at the pain here's the pain the pain is you're going to look old before your time. The pain is is that you're aging. The pain is is that you will lose your beauty and your and, and your and your looks. Yeah. So if you don't want that, well, you'd better buy this product that will reverse the signs of aging, which will make you look younger, which will make you feel better, which will and so forth. So yeah. Um. So I think it's you know I, I think it's universal. It's not just an American thing or Australian thing or a UK thing. Um. That's the way the world works. You see politicians doing it, you know, like fear and, and avoiding pain. Um, if you, you have to only watch any kind of news television program and the main stories are never like, oh, this wonderful thing happened today. It's always like this terrible thing happened yeah, today. You bet. Yeah. It's interesting. And that's because we're so in tune to danger too from like, you know, because we're trying to survive. Yeah, we're trying to survive, it's and so and so we're in tune primordial. to like to danger and bad things more. That mm. to us hits us emotionally more because our whole being is about survival. So for you, where did the where did your? I know we're kind of running out of time, so I won't keep you for too much longer. But um, where did you hit that moment where you went from? I mean, you're a good-looking man who has had a lot of success and you've done really well. You're good with women, as you were saying, you know, all this stuff. Where, At what point were you like, okay, that that's fun and that's a good thing, but then you turned your, your focus to the health and wellness and mental, soul, all the, that stuff. When did, yeah. how did that yeah. hit you? Yeah, it started to, to hit me in my mid-30s. I'm 42 now. So the last seven years, I would say I've been on a self-development journey of trying to redefine myself and, and find out who I am and why I do the things that I do. And I've only just scratched the surface, Susan. Like, I'm, I'm, like I mentioned, I was at a self-development program the last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, ha- I, I have a psychologist that I speak to once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Um, uh, you know, I, I seek professional help to talk about these issues. But what I can say is this: in my twenties and early thirties, and as far as my romantic relationships, I would describe myself as being a womanizer. Quite frankly, I mean, and and what I now see is that, um, you know, looking back, 
I was that way because I didn't want to be my father mm. who, who the story I created was that my mother pushed my father around and I saw that mm. as, as my father being weak. Now, he wasn't weak, but the story I created was that he was. And so I was like, I'm never going to let a woman push me around. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be tough and I'm going to be alpha and I'm going to like have women attracted to me. And no one's gonna, no woman's gonna have any power over me. And so that's the persona that that, that I took on based on mm-hmm. a story that actually wasn't real, quite frankly. Yeah. It was just a story that I invented. And then you know, listen, it was a lot of fun until it wasn't. Until I got to an age and I what it stopped being fun. Then it was mm-hmm. like, that's really this is not serving me anymore. Time to go deeper. Time to like really look into this. And then you know, subsequently. It, it, it's been a challenge. I'm now trying to undo all of the things that that I've done. I'm trying to connect. I'm trying to have a deeper romantic relationship. I'm trying to be more authentic. I'm trying to be more vulnerable. I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, express insecurities and things that I feel inferior about, and just be more real and authentic and live in integrity. And I don't get it right all the time, but um, but I'm certainly. Um, trying and I'm certainly doing a hell of a lot better than I was in the first 35 years of my life I think it's great um not I I feel like we have such a limited time here in general that it's if we can figure out I mean foremost of course the figuring out how to love ourselves that's that's up here if we could ever figure that out and most of us will struggle with that for our entire lives but um to to hold each other up I think is that's the next one down on the rung. You know, you can't, you can't hold it. the world. Until you learn to love yourself, you don't know how to love the world. Until you have empathy for yourself, you don't know how to have empathy for the world. And it's just, I think it's great. It's neat to, even watching all your videos, so you to watch, I could see that the journey was happening through, the, through your videos, which was really cool. Um, so I really I appreciate you, you and, and all that that you're giving to the world. Thank you. You know this. You know, I really appreciate the nice words that you're saying. You know what the sad thing is about life. I think a little bit of what I perceive is that people like me who've kind of you know found something that they were struggling with or they didn't do well at, and then they kind of have the comeback journey Mm -hmm. where they then try to better themselves. We seem to get more praise than people who who had it right from the beginning and never 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 had to fix things. It's like, remember Robert Downey Jr., the Hollywood actor, who was like arrested for drugs and guns and everything, and he was in jail, and now he's come back, and now he's like this really successful actor, Hollywood actor again. Everyone loves him because there's the comeback story. He was down, he was great, and then he wasn't great, and now he's great again, and everyone celebrates that. But no one really celebrates the person who wasn't famous who always had his shit together right from day one, who never ended up in jail, who never had drugs, who actually just has always been living a really great life. No one celebrates that person. I don't know. I I don't know if I agree with that because I think that, that, well, first of all, it's probably a rare person. It's hard to to be perfect. (laughs) Well, not that that's perfect, but you know what I mean? And we all, everybody's got their shit. We've all got it. And it's just a question of, um, again, it's that looking in the mirror and... Who do we lie to, our, to the most? We lie to ourselves the most. So it's that question of when when do we stop doing that? And, and some people are just better at, at going, you know what? This is, why am I doing this? I have this thing where like, if I feel a strong emotion about something, like let's say I'm jealous, like I'm in the music industry. So let's just say somebody's up on stage, they're getting a big award and I think, 
shit, why don't I have that award? You know, I'm just as, you know, you go through your little bullshit in your head. And um, then I think, okay, why, okay, this emotion, what is this emotion? Oh, that's jealousy or that's anger. So then I, I try and anthropomorphize it and like sort of stick it out of my head and say, all right, why are you feeling like that? Where, where did that start? Where, you know, what's that about? And, and it's really interesting because you can usually trace it back to some moment like, oh, big brother got a donut and you didn't get a donut or, you know, something stupid. And, uh, but these little things, it's just human beings. I don't know that anybody comes out yeah. perfect. And Dalai yeah. Lama excluded, I guess. Dalai Lama gets to have that pass. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're meaning making machines. We're always assigning, assigning meaning to certain things. Like we always like some, there's, there's what happened and then there is the story about what happened. Exactly. So for example, in, in your analogy is like the, the kid, you know, didn't get the donut. Well, what happens? Well, what happened was that the kid didn't get the donut. But that, for that kid, the meaning is that, well, maybe he wasn't loved. Maybe his daddy didn't love him or maybe his daddy loved him too much. And then he'll go through his entire life treating women poorly or not being respected or feeling like he has to prove something and never being satisfied, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the only thing that happened was that he didn't get a donut. But now he's spent 20 years of his life living a certain way because of the meaning that he put to not getting a donut it's crazy it's we're all we are absurd human beings we (laughs) We really really are are. it's great isn't it (laughs) Uh, it's so funny james thank you so much Uh, tell everybody how to find you Uh, you can find me on social media at james swanick and that's spelled j-a-m-e-s-s-w-a-n-w-i-c-k my name is actually spelled swanwick but it's pronounced Swanick. Um, If you're interested in the blue light blocking glasses, you can go to swanicksleep.com or you can just Google Swannies and uh, it should come up there. Um, And send me a message on Instagram for sure. And the 30 day uh, no alcohol challenge.com. Oh yeah. 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 Which I think is great. If you want to quit alcohol for 30 days and you want to join thousands of people around the world who are also doing that and, um, get a video from me every day for 30 days just to hold you accountable, um, then, yeah, go to 30daynoalcoholchallenge.com. Oh, gosh, I almost forgot your podcast, which is great as well. I'm so sorry. I nearly spaced on that, ironically, since we're on a podcast right now. Your uh, James Swanick podcast is is fantastic. I, um, I've been listening to different episodes. I skip around and stuff, but, oh, my gosh, I love the one on death and dying that you did with your friend Ty. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, so good. It's such an important one. I think everyone needs to listen to that one for sure. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah, you can find, you can subscribe to my podcast. It's called The James Swanick Show and you can find that in in iTunes and I do a lot of stuff about life and business and productivity and happiness and I I just like to interview people people that i'm interested in and talk about topics that yeah. i'm interested in it's changed over the years so yeah um i get yeah it. you can check check it out there yeah thank you james and enjoy toronto and uh and happy everything thank you so much yeah. i appreciate you having me all right see you later bye-bye bye